Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Hey everyone, I am on my way to the United States House floor to impeach President Trump on behalf of my incredible district, 13 District Strong. Let's do this. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 19th of December, year of our Lord, 2019. And though I just podcasted yesterday with the impeachment last night and seeing that tweet when I got off the uh, podcast desk yesterday. I decided it was probably worth doing. Um, I did Inauguration Day, and uh, that was more of a gloating moment, not because I was a Trump supporter, but because it was just so amazing to watch the media uh, fall apart, be totally <clears throat> volcanic on the fact that uh, Donald Trump is going to be president. So this is history, and though I've been talking about it and saying it's going to happen since 2019, if you go back, I mean, I, this day was coming. This is what the media wanted. This is what Democrats wanted. And this is what the small slice of the popular vote, I don't think all 66 million, literally wanted impeachment. Um, the the small majority that has been twisting our country in pretzels since the Vietnam War. Uh, more on that towards the end, because I'm going to tie it into watching live in front of a studio audience last night. Um, they have been doing this, and this is what they want, and they get what they want because they are not to be biblical. Like, I'm not going to play some of the Republican sound bites of the Jesus, and that was just stupid, but... It's kind of like the scene of King of Kings. Uh, and of those that have never seen it, there's Barabbas and there's Jesus. And this is supposed to be historical, but uh, they were given up to, uh, who do you want spared? And the crowd for Barabbas is louder, so Barabbas, the murderer, gets off, Jesus gets crucified, right? I think that's what the intent of Republicans were. I believe it's an apt analogy for what our country has been based on from the small minority who didn't want the Iraq war to, I mean, millions, there wasn't millions marching. There was say a dedicated 200,000 people and 200,000 people are dropping a butt bucket of a country of 340 million people. Um, but they were the loudest. And in Vietnam, the draft Dodgers and, uh, all those people, they were a small minority, but our media being more like them than you and I in the middle of the country, they get the loudest mic. They get represented, and you don't. No, you know, Chuck Todd, MSNBC, CNN, list the list. They don't go to rural Tennessee and ask anybody's opinion because they don't give a fuck. You're evil. You're a Christian. You're usually white. You have a nuclear family. You don't believe in abortion to college. And you voted against Hillary because she was an evil piece of shit to you. The sad thing is we get to the end of this. It's no longer Trump's evil piece of shit. Anybody who doesn't see he's evil, that's who they're attacking. And we play it week in and week out on the show. 
of Cuomo and, um, you know, all these talking heads pretty much inferring um, Chuck Todd specifically. It's not about Trump. It's about you. You must be punished because you don't think like them. I beat the drum a lot on here about WAPO because it's an actual tweet. They they said it November 9, 2016, and the resistance had already formed and were burning down part of Washington and saying they're going to blow up the White House on Inauguration Day. But this is an article from 4-17-16. Could Trump be impeached shortly after he takes office? It's highly improbable, but everyone from law scholars to political junkies are speculating about it. Donald Trump isn't even Republican nominee yet, but his incendiary rhetoric, most notably about killing the families of terrorists and bringing back torture, has critics on the right and left discussing the most extreme of countermeasures at an unusual early point in the race. Impeachment is already on the lips of pundits, newspapers, constitutional scholars, and even a few members of Congress. And that is from Politico. Politico. That was April 2016. So to say that the media wasn't for this, didn't want it, is totally a lie. They they pushed for this. They pushed the electorate so that really it became a point for Nancy Pelosi and Democrats. They did not have a choice but to do this. If they did not do this, they would lose their seat. The ruckus of Tlaib, Omar, and AOC, well, they all pushed for this. This is what their platform was when they ran for Congress. They didn't have a choice. She almost lost her position. She had to bow to the mob. And by the polls of 3,000 Americans, it's still a dead draw on whether he should be impeached or if he did anything wrong. But if you ask the average person on the street, nothing he did was high crimes and misdemeanors. And as we go through this, Democrats don't understand that because they don't understand the Constitution. The the amount of people saying bye-bye Trump, including my daughter, because they think he's already impeached and he's not. This is going to be just like Clinton. He will be impeached in the House, and the Senate will not impeach him because this doesn't rise to the level of what the framers laid out. You can't impeach somebody because you don't like them or because you lost an election. But I'm going to play a Dana Bash soundbite, and we'll talk about it later. But this kind of sums up this whole impeachment process. You know, if it's not Tlaib in our intro, it's, it's Dana Bash. You can feel it in the air here. It feels different. It is palpable that this is uh, momentous, that this is brave. And again, it is, despite the Democrats' talking points, not something that this speaker wanted to do for and about this president. Dana, stand by. I know you're going to... They were ordered to wear black. They were ordered not to cheer. They were ordered not to do anything. But they can't help themselves. I mean, surprisingly, 
Tlaib, we heard. Omar, today we in the United States House of Representatives fulfill our constitutional responsibility. Today we vote to restore balance to our democracy by voting to impeach the 45th President of the United States, Donald Trump. My full sp- statement. The President extorted a foreign government in an effort to benefit his re-election and obstruct the congressional investigation into the extortion. He abused his oath of office. He must be impeached. That is the party line that was handed out. The one that surprised me was AOC. There's really nothing on it. He made a comment at a rally, and everybody's talking about that. And, of course, she's bashing Barry Loudermilk, who used the Jesus reference. And I think he used it wrongly, because I think the Barabbas, <laughs> and why I used it, was because all the flack about bringing religion into this, um, is more apt. It's the loud, squeaky wheel. But they tried as much as possible to make this not partisan, only one person in the media, um, as stated, I'll be talking about it, I watched live in front of a studio audience, and the reporter there said this may be go down as not the way to do an impeachment, or it may be the way to do impeachment in a partisan way. That's how he stated it on ABC, because sadly, with a glum face... George Snuffleupagus, who went through an impeachment with the president and wanted this man impeached, couldn't have his time on air because they were doing this live event for two hours. So they could only break in and allow Jimmy Kimmel to go gloat. The president's been impeached with a roar in the audience and the 97-year-old gay man next to him getting all excited, uh, Lear, whatever his name was. Um, But literally, they, they couldn't help themselves. Adam Schiff caught caught celebrating impeachment at a swanky steakhouse who has been driving impeachment against Donald Trump for months, went out for steak last night ahead of a today's full House vote. Hosting my holiday dinner at Charlie Palmer tonight, Adam Schiff and House members thought they would also come to one of the most expensive places in D.C. to celebrate their impeachment sham. So in touch with the American people, I lost my appetite and left because of these scumbags. Meanwhile, Democrats keep pretending they aren't giddy over today's impeachment proceedings. They've been instructed not to cheer if the articles pass, and talking points about being solemn day have made the rounds, adding to the drama many Democrat congresswomen are wearing black. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi sad when asked how she feels about the way the House floor head of the impeachment vote. Note, Speaker Pelosi, this is Bash again, was wearing black. One of her colleagues told me several of the female Democrats did this intentionally to single a somber day. CNN was trying really hard to hammer home that this is not partisan because they want to sell it to the American people who never bought it. And Chuck Todd, he'll admit it, but he you can see it's not about Trump. With Todd, it's about you, the American people who don't buy this bullshit. Democrats hold wine and cheese party on Capitol Hill during impeachment. Other article, Democrats given instructions, don't cheer, act solemn during impeachment vote. Uh, Done out the duty of Constitution despite leading Democrats openly admitting that the president must be impeached for political reasons. Keeping to the appearance, Democrats were reportedly given the instruction to avoid cheering and keep it solemn during the impeachment vote on Wednesday. House Democratic leaders told caucus members not to cheer or applaud when today's impeachment vote totals are announced. And Democrat members described the day as sad and somber, Axios reported. One Democrat member from a Trump district said the instruction, don't cheer, keep it solemn, 
the report added, and it went even further that the Representative Pelosi and other Democrat women wore black to single solemn occasion, not partisan. Note, Speaker Pelosi is wearing black, one of her colleagues, well, that's Dana Bash. Adding to the drama, the House Speaker said the Pledge of Allegiance, which we'll play in a second, to start off the proceedings on Wednesday and emphasizing the line to the Republic. Of course, under God is not something they say. However, past comments from leading Democrats, including Pelosi, strike a far different tone. Here are some of the partisan and telling remarks for Democrats. AOC, this is about preventing potential disastrous outcome from occurring next year. Dana Titus, I'd like to impeach the bastard now. Adam Schiff, the charlatan in the White House. Nancy Pelosi, an imposter. We cannot accept a second term. Maxine Waters, he really should be punished, and I'm not running for anything except for the impeachment of Trump. Tlaib, impeach the motherfucker. Al Green, if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. As noted as by Axios, impeachment support is completely partisan. The census of the cake is baked, a close source close to President Trump legal team told the outlet. The only question is if it's one or two Democrats or slightly more who vote against. All but one of the 30 remaining Democrats in Trump won districts, Jeff Van Drew is switching to the GOP, said they'd vote in favor. Polling post impeachment inquiry has been abysmal for Democrats who continue to move forward with the proceeding. A Monday Mammoth poll released last, I'm sorry, Mammoth poll released last Tuesday, for example, showed only good news for Trump. A six-point swing. All the polls show it. Ari Fleischer. In October, October, Trump job approval disapproval was negative 18. Now it's negative 6. 12 points up. The impeachment went from positive to negative in unbiased polls and 48-48 with plus or three minus for liberal polls, which are weighted Democrat. It's a partisan event. It's not based on anything that's substantial, but you can't tell it with Pelosi. Here's Pelosi's Oscar-worthing performance. 230, the nays are 197, present is 1, Article 1 is adopted. The question... Question is on adoption of Article Two. The question is on the adoption of Article Two. Those in favor say aye. aye. Those opposed nay. Aye. The ayes have it. The ayes have it. For what purpose does the gentleman from New York see My colleagues, this morning and every morning, when we come together, members rise and pledge allegiance to the flag. Every day, all across America, children in school, members of the military, officials and those uh, civically engaged also pledge allegiance to the flag. Let us recall what that pledge says. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic, to the Republic, for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We withhold just the articles. Could you presumably withhold the articles for weeks until you get what you consider a failed fair trial? Well, again, we'll decide uh, what that dynamic is, uh, but we hope that the, the resolution of, of that process will be soon in the Senate. 
consider a fair trial? What do you consider a fair trial? Cheryl, Cheryl, did you have one, Cheryl? Did you have a question, Cheryl? Did I have a question? Yeah. I do have a question. What do you consider a fair trial? What are you looking for? Are you looking specifically for witnesses, for documents? Well, let me tell you what I don't consider. What I don't consider a fair trial. This is what I don't consider a trail, fair trial. That Leader McConnell has stated that he's not an impartial juror, uh, that he's going to take his cues, in quotes, from the White House, and he is working in total coordination with the White House Counsel's Office. Any comments, my colleagues, on that? Let me just say that obviously Senator McConnell, by that declaration, has said that he is so as, in effect, the foreman of the jury is working with the defendant's counsel. That's not fair. Um, and uh, we'll have to see what else. But the, that's certainly an indication of an unfair, of an intention to have an unfair trial. We'd like to see a trial where they, where, the, uh, look, it's up to the, uh, the senators to, reckon, to make their own decision working together, hopefully, uh, in recognition of their witnesses, uh, that the president withheld from us, their documents that the president withheld from us, and we would hope that that information would be available uh, in a trial to, to go to the next step because this, that's a, a, another level in terms of uh, uh, conviction in terms of, of this. But right now, the president is impeached. Is it possible you would never send the articles over? We're not having that discussion. We're, we, we have done what we have set out to do. The House has acted on a very sad day to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, to do so in a manner that was fair, even though the other side was mischaracterizing it. Nonetheless, it was fair uh, and, and appropriate and urgent. And urgent. So we always we will make our decision as to when we're going to send it, when we see what they're doing on the Senate side. But that's a decision that we will make jointly. But once again, they can't help themselves. They know they can they can try to sell this car. And once again, I, I answered some questions, and I'll, I'll I'll read a couple tweets that I was astounded that you know. Reporters had even put out there, especially Brian Seltzer. Well, I'll just say it right now. He literally put, you know, I, I've been asking a lot of questions on how the media has been doing on the impeachment. How do you think they've covered it? And, of course, most nonpartisan people or partisan conservative were going to answer. You called for this before the election, but you specifically called for it November 9th, 2016. You pushed for it and said it 200 times, which is how we're going to, we're going to end this show with the, the block I played yesterday of impeach 200 times, smoking gun 200 times. The dossier is true because this Ukraine stuff has nothing to do with it. It's still about Russia. They sold that lie. It was proven false and they could not get over it. A, they cannot get over as a media that you lost. They sold Hillary so well, the most qualified president ever, including Obama. And then the American people didn't vote that way, and they got pissed because they already were planning her cabinet. 
and how our entire country was going to turn transgender and be gay, and all white people were going to lose all their possessions, and we were going to finally right the wrongs of slavery and the genocide of Indians and all the stuff that normal Americans, regardless of race, color, or creed, could give two fucking shits about, they still obsess over. That's why we hear about it every fucking holiday and just went through the whole morning day instead of Thanksgiving. But my tweet to him was, all you proved is that going forward, this is the norm for Democrats. We, How many times do they talk about it under Bush? They just didn't have the balls. But the new young people like my daughter and others in that 20 to 30 range, they hate people. They outright hate. I love my daughter, and I think she respects me as her father for advice, but she hates me as a person because I believe in a God that she believes is fake. I don't believe in abortion that she believes the right to choose. I don't think transgenderism is anything that needs to be worried about other than going to a psychologist, and I don't give a fuck if people are gay, and I don't want to recognize them special and treat them like they are special because I believe in the army way of EO. I don't give a fuck you're black, pink, female, gay, whatever. You're a person. I treat you just like every other person. That's how we're supposed to strive to be as Americans. But that's not what the left wants. They want special treatment, special classification, upgrading in jobs, giving extra pay, giving this, that, and the other thing for wrongs that they half the time perceive. Just like my Starbucks incident the other day. They perceive. That they're treated wrong. They're not actually being treated wrong. Nobody gives a fuck if you're gay. But they want that shit. So I basically told Seltzer, this is the future. We will either have to always have Democratic presidents, and as conservatives or non-progs or center people like I consider myself, I'm sure some that listen to the show don't agree with, we're going to have to stack the House and the Senate. I will not be able to vote my conscience anymore on somebody. I'll have to report uh, or go in and vote straight Republican from now on to ensure the House and Senate are always Republican because we'll never have a Republican president again. Remember, when Obama got elected, they said that. They said that the demographics in America changed and everybody's a bunch of racist white pieces of fucking shit and there's no way they'll ever have a Republican president because they even knew a no-name Barack Obama getting elected over John McCain, who they love, was amazing. But that was because America voted their guilt, not their conscience. The second time, they realized they could get him through by becoming mouthpieces for the Democratic Party and playing 47% on repeat from the day it was illegally obtained in California. Because remember... Project Veritas just got basically convicted and then it had to be overturned for illegally obtaining videos on Planned Parenthood. But that's exactly what that bartender did in a California night, uh, whatever the fuck venue. Nobody ever called for him to go to jail. There was no court cases. Nobody sued him. It was the people rising up because that's how it always works when Democrats find stuff on Republicans. It is freedom and freedom of the press and citizens and grassroots and all that shit and then when republicans do it it's altered it's unverified it is astroturf you know that's that's how we play this but they realized they could do it 
And so they did it in spades, no racial annotations, for Hillary, and it didn't work. I mean, I got a segment at the end of this from the worst decade of politics ever, and it's from Chuck Todd, the chief political correspondent for NBC News. He blames the Tea Party, not the resistance, not Antifa, the Tea Party for our political discourse. The Tea Party that didn't get on TV. The Tea Party that never had riots. The Tea Party that didn't roam the streets and beat people in hope and change hats. Yeah, it's the Tea Party's fault. That's what they've done. And they know they can do it. Because they manipulated the electorate with impeachment before most people even thought there was a reason to impeach. So by the time the end of Mueller, where we find out there's nothing there, there's no there there, that base, those who did not vote for Trump, are riled up. And now they're in their congressman's ear. And they don't have a choice. And the media did that. And they know they did it. And they will continue to do it. After Trump, they've already said we're not airing Republican events. We're not giving equal time. Our future will be nothing but Democratic candidates, like we're seeing 85 town halls, full speeches. They'll ignore everybody else's rally, even after Trump. And if for some reason a Republican sneaks in and becomes president, they'll work to impeach him for minuscule things. That's what this historic vote did. Yes, Clinton was partisan. But even then, Democrats voted for it. They voted for it because he did commit perjury. And as a young guy at that age, I thought the way it went was the way it was supposed to be. The House labeled him, he got forever stained as an impeached president. And then, he didn't get kicked out of office because it was a minor thing between him and his wife. That's what I believed at the time. Nobody voted for this but Democrats. It is a straight party line vote. And the abstention is a Democrat, Tulsi Gabbard. And Democrats voted with the Republicans. So they didn't even get their whole caucus. And all those that did vote are fucked if they're in Trump's districts. Because it's not based on anything about Ukraine. Schiff said it. We said it last podcast. It's still about Russia. And if you listen to these episodes of this podcast, there's more proof Hillary, the DNC, and the media colluded with Ukraine than Trump abusing power with Ukraine. It's out there. It's been reported. And the further we get away from fucking Russia, we get articles like this. FISA court releases statement blasting Comey FBI for misconduct, providing false information to court. 
The order responds to reports of personnel the FBI provided false information to the National Security Division, the Department of Justice, and withheld material information from the NSD, which was detrimental to the FBI case in connection with four applications for Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court for authority to conduct electronic surveillance of a U.S. citizen named Carter W. Page, also known as Opposing Campaign. When FBI personnel misled NSD in his way described above, they equally misled FISA. Collier explained in detail the process involving obtaining a foreign a FISA application against a person suspected of being an agent of foreign power, saying that it was necessary for people to understand the process in order to appreciate the seriousness of the misconduct. Collier wrote that the Inspector General approach showed troubling instances of the FBI personnel providing information to NSD, which was unsupported or contradicted by information in their possession. It also describes several instances in the FBI personnel withheld from NSD information in their possession, which was detrimental in the case for believing Mr. Page was acting as a foreign power. In addition, while the fourth electronic surveillance application for Page was being prepared, an attorney in the FBI office, a general counsel, engaged in conduct that apparently was intended to mislead the FBI agent who ultimately swore to facts that an application about whether Page had been a source of another government agency. The FBI handling of the Carter Page application as portrayed in the OIG report was antithetical to the heightened duty of candor described above. The frequency with the representation made by the FBI personnel turned out to be unsupported, contradicted by information in their possession, and with which they withheld information detrimental to their case. Calls in question whether information contained in other FBI applications is reliable. The FISA expects the government to provide complete and accurate information in every filing with the court. Without it, the FISA cannot properly ensure that the government conducts electronic surveillance for foreign intelligent purposes only when there is sufficient basis. He also ordered the government in the next three days complete a declassification review of the above-referenced order of December 5, 2019 in anticipation of FISA publishing the order and review of information released to the public in the OIG report. Trump responded by Twitter, Wow, in a stunning rebuke of FBI and FISA, court chastises uh, the FBI for the FISA abuse brought to light in the recent Inspector General report. There were at least 17 significant errors. Only carried by Fox News. Only. No other news agency spiked it because they wanted the impeachment. They didn't want this to get out. They're still trying to play the ruse. It's about Ukraine when it's not. Schiff himself said it. But here are the arbiters of the Constitution doing some serious theatrics to try to justify impeachment for a phone call. My father fled Nazi Germany for America because he saw what happened when a despot became untethered. He fled because he believed in democracy and the rule of law and the right to vote. It is my adult son, Ian Schakowsky, whom I will always credit for my decision last June to support an impeachment inquiry. It had never been my goal to impeach a president, but Ian made such a compelling case. He reminded me of the oath I have taken 11 times now to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. He said, Mom, this is not about politics. This is not about party. 
and pushing back against my arguments, he said, this has nothing to do with the final outcome. It's about doing the right thing, even if others don't. He made me see that it was about my legacy, my modest place in history. I want to thank you, my son, for helping me do the right thing today, to vote to impeach the President of the United States, Donald Trump, because no American is above the law. Constitution to protect the American people in our form of government against a president who would subvert our constitutional liberties in between elections. I now yield one minute to the distinguished gentleman from Texas, Mr. Green. Gentlemen, recognized for one minute. And still I rise, Madam Speaker. I rise because I love my country. And Madam Speaker, shall any man be beyond justice? This is the question posed in 1787 by George Mason at the Constitutional Convention. Shall any man be beyond justice? Madam Speaker, if this president is allowed to thwart the efforts of Congress with a legitimate impeachment inquiry, the president will not only be above the law, he will be beyond justice. We cannot allow any person to be beyond justice in this country. In the name of democracy, on behalf of the republic, and for the sake of the many who are suffering, I will vote to impeach and I encourage my colleagues to do so as well. No one is beyond justice in this country. I yield back the balance of my time. Gentleman from Georgia. Thank you, Madam Speaker. And I'd also remind my chairman that the impeachment was not to be used in the between election cycles to defeat a, a president, sitting president who you think will be reelected. With that, I yield one minute to the gentleman from Florida, Mr. Buchanan. Gentleman's recognized for one minute. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I will. There are some who cynically argue that the impeachment of this president will further divide an already fractured union. But there is a difference between division and clarification. Slavery once divided the nation, but emancipators rose up to clarify that all men are created equally. Suffrage once divided the nation, but women rose up to clarify that all voices must be heard in our democracy. Jim Crow once divided the nation, but civil rights champions rose up to clarify that all are entitled to equal protection under the law. There is a difference between division and clarification. We will hold this president accountable for his stunning abuse of power. We will hold this president accountable for undermining our national security. We will hold this president accountable for corrupting our democracy. We will impeach Donald John Trump. We will clarify that in America, no one is above the law. Was he attempting to hide wrongdoing? It is without question that this president has demonstrated that he will remain a threat to national security and the Constitution if allowed to remain in office and has acted in a manner grossly incompatible with self-governance and the rule of law because at every turn he has shown us who he is 
It is no secret that this president could have been impeached a long time ago. Today, we stand here with an irrefutable case and an indisputable set of facts that this president absolutely abused his power and obstructed Congress. Any other individual who would have been caught conducting themselves in the way this president has would have been prosecuted to the full extent of the law. It is shameful that any members of this House are willing to disregard the Constitution, turn a blind eye to hard facts, and ignore a confession from the President himself. History will remember those who were willing to speak truth to power. Yes, I call for Trump's impeachment early. This is our country. Our foremothers and our forefathers shed their blood to build and defend this democracy. I refuse to have it undermined. I wholeheartedly support this resolution. I'm proud that in the final analysis, justice will have been served in America and Donald Trump will have been impeached. Dear Ellie and James, this is a moment that you will read about in your history books. Today, I will vote to impeach the President of the United States. And I want you to know why. He broke our laws. He threatened our security. He abused the highest, most sacred office in our land. I want you to know that it does not feel good. I can't stop thinking about the cost to our country. Not just the impeachable offenses, but the collateral damage of a president who uses power like a weapon against his own people. Erodes our decency, degrades our dignity. I don't yet know how they will tell the story of this era, but I want to tell you the story of this day. Let the record show that today, justice won, that we did our job, that we kept our word, that we stood our sacred ground. Let the record show that we did not let you down. I love you. Listen to mom. Gentlemen's I'll be home soon. Hey, everyone. I am on my way to the United States House floor <laughs> to impeach <laughs> President Trump. <laughs> on behalf of my incredible district, 13 District Strong. Let's do that. I mean, Green had a picture that's already been debunked of the little girl at the border crying next to him. And then this morning when I watch Morning Joe and CNN, all they're talking about what he said about a representative who's dead who told the president to go to hell, so he made a reference that he's probably looking up at me from hell. And that was the reference, but the media never said that was the reference. The media just said he disparaged a dead person, which is heinous. I'm not saying it's right, but throughout this, for the last, well, since November 9th, 2016, there's never context from all Mexicans are rapists and murderers. That's not what he said. From both sides had good people. That's not what he meant or what Obama would have got away with or Clinton would have got away with. They went for the the worst thing. From the border, uh, it started in 2012, but we're not going to talk about Obama. We're going to float pictures from 2012 and say it's Trump. From every story we reported on the show of stuff they find out, and then they find out it was under Obama, and they dump it. From the simple fact of this whole Russia, Russia, Russia thing that they've been trying to get the man on since day one, 
literally was allowed by Obama. It was under his watch that it happened. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. They just ignored it. Because he's the dear leader. He's so important. They they don't fucking care. And th- and then you have just the, the, the lack of intellectual honesty from one of the biggest proponents of this, Alyssa Milano. I expect this moment, but I expected it to be more joyful. Maybe jump up and do a happy dance. Maybe. But I'm just sad and heartbroken. What he's left behind can't be erased with this vote. The bigotry and xenophobia he's embodied, the lies, it will take generations to recover. This is a terrible day in our country history, but a great defense of our democracy. They truly believe that. Because they've been saying it for four years. They believe their lies. And then as we segue into our regular person stuff, I was going to read a whole bunch of tweets. I'm just going to play this. That's impeachment dancing. And because we're an educated audience on this, we understand that the only thing that Trump's done to gays and lesbians is roll back transgenders in the military, which is what the military actually wanted. Most of them are by lesbian, gay, and transgender people talking shit about, I'm doing this for all the queens who Trump's fucked. And they're doing full impeachment dances. Because these are the same people that do Mary Impeachments. And, you know, I have this one I kept in the back, so I was going to segue to some Christmas stuff. Um, It is, uh, where is it at? What a historic and wonderful day for a democracy. Thank you, Pelosi, Nadler, Schiff, and all the members of DNC who upheld their constitutional oaths. Merry Impeachment Day, Impeach 45, Impeachment Day, Remove Trump, Impeach, Dem Cast, Dem Cast, or Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Joyous Impeachment. I found it looking at a move on. Across the nation last night, hundreds of thousands said with one voice that it's time to impeach and remove Trump. There's no presence or actual proof of hundreds of thousands or any outside-the-bubble protests. There's people in D.C. and New York and San Francisco, blue cities, who want to overdo the Electoral College and make sure that nobody outside the bubbles get to have a voice again. They were out in the street. And remember, once again... Move On is the organization that was formed for us to move on from the last impeachment. So intellectual honesty is not really what their thing is. These people, I mean, seriously, my daughter was one of them. They really believe he's gone. These people don't know the Constitution. They don't know how the process works because they just know Trump bad. Anybody who voted for Trump is worse. Christians bad. People that don't have better babies bad. People that aren't gay are bad. I don't know how many times I can sit on the phone and tell my daughter that you don't even count. Democrats don't give a fuck about you. You're a white woman. You have to be a transgender man who's black to get 
anything, and if for some reason they could figure out how to um, magic wand every illegal immigrant to become citizens as they're backdooring them with free driver's license, which will allow them to vote, you know it's going to happen. They won't even give a fuck about the transgenders anymore. Because Democrats fear people by doing demographics. And they pander to get people to vote. Because literally the people who believe what they believe are a very small slice of the country. You just don't know that because it's just like gays on TV. America thought it was 35%. I just argued with the guy again. That tweet I did is still going. Who he said 37% of the country's gay. And I said, where'd you get that from? A dream? Self-identification is 5.4%. And I'm inflating by 002 because that was the previous self-identification. It's actually gone down by 2% or two-tenths of a percent. But they don't know that. Because all they see is social media, CNN, MSNBC, and WAPO. And that's their echo chamber of, I'm normal. I am the majority. And saying it, we now segue into our media. So the the paper of record for the first most important impeachment begins, as we know on the show, is WAPO, November 9th, 2016. In a late Wednesday night post-impeachment tweet devoid of all self-awareness, Washington Post congressional reporter Rachel Blade flaunted how she and four other journalists from the paper were celebrating Trump's impeachment. Mary Impeachment Moss, Mary Impeach Moss from the WAPO team, Paul Kane is buying, with Karen DeMargin, Song Min Kim, Mike DeBonis, and of course her. She gleefully shared it and now deleted tweet, tweet along with a picture of them around a restaurant table with food and at least two beers. And they're all smiling. They're so happy. Interestingly, three of the five newspaper writers involved with the apparent celebration, Blade, DeMargin, and Kim, are CNN political analysts. Rightly, the supposedly objective journalists were immediately called out and derided on social media. What the hell were you thinking when you tweeted this? Some of us still care about ethics and unbiased reporting, and this garbage makes it harder for all of us by reinforcing a stereotype. Come on, guys, blasted Fox 11 reporter Bill McGlynn. Stephen Miller, Red States, went on a tear. Do these people have any self-awareness, any at all? Cool, you had a long night at work, I get it, it was a very somber day for you, but maybe don't smile hashtag your tweet with the resistance slogan de jure if you don't want to prove Trump's point about your paper. Washington Post reporter and CNN political analyst Rachel Blade celebrates impeach boss, which isn't a horrible look for both, which isn't a horrible look for both news organizations of anything, the Hill Media reporter Joe Conscious sarcastically quipped. Derek Hunter from the Daily Caller added, All these people are reporters. Nice work, WAPO. In response to the avalanche of ridicule, Bay announced that she would delete the tweet because people were somehow misinterpreting it. I'm deleting a tweet tonight that is being misinterpreted by some as an endorsement of some kind. To be absolutely clear, we at The Post are merely glad we are getting a break for the holidays after long three months. I will retweet the group photo with a better caption. Unfortunately for this crew, the internet is forever. Now the world will know how she and other journalists for the Democracy Dies in the Darkness outfit celebrate 
impeachment of a president. She knew what she was doing. She believed it. Chris Hayes, 90% of the House Republican caucus are white men. 90%. Stephen Miller, like the MSNBC lineup, beat with Ari Melber, white. Hardball with Chris Matthews, white. All in with Chris Hayes. I'll give him one check mark. He's gay white. Rachel Maddow, gay female white. She's got two checks. Last word with Lawrence O'Donnell, white, cis man. Brian Williams, white, cis man. But just like the Democrats, and more importantly, the real people that have pushed for the impeachment, our media, they couldn't help themselves. The glee was evident. And we'll start with CNN. I have to believe that there were more eyes on the proceedings that have just ended than at any other point in this process. But here's the question that needs to be answered. Why has public support for impeachment actually declined as the hearings have played themselves out? And his approval is up. And his approval is up. But with regard to the decline, I mean, you can look at the Marquette study of Wisconsin, most critical state probably of all 50 in the election, the Gallup survey that came out today. My own theory is that most Americans, many Americans, in the end, because it got so damn nasty, just decided to chalk this up to partisan bickering. A pinnacle of partisanship. You asked Maggie, what's the headline of the future? That would be mine. I don't think that this was born of partisanship. I think this was born of his conduct. And frankly, the underlying facts are pretty straightforward in the end. But in, but it was very hard for people who are working for a living and raising kids and so forth to follow all the names and the places and the dates. So why I, would that redound I, to his benefit? I think a lot of it just got chalked up to it's really more fighting going on in Washington. We have an election. Here's the answer to your question. We have an election on the horizon. Horizon. Let's go resolve it at the ballot. This is something of a guardrail. Congress saying no. And even though President Trump right now in front of basking in the adulation of a crowd in Battle Creek, Michigan, one thing that is very clear, and that's probably wise, by the way, because he can't be fuming on Twitter if he's feeling all the love from his many supporters in Michigan. But one of the things that's, that I'm worried about and uh, concerned about what's going to happen now is what's the effect on this going to be on President Trump? When he realizes, when this starts, when this starts to soak in. The President Trump was impeached for one reason, because he deserved it. Because no president has ever done what he did. No president has betrayed his oath the way this president has by taking taxpayer dollars and using it as a bribe, as an extortion, as a lure to get dirt on his political opponents. And no president has ever issued a complete blanket refusal to talk, to to produce any documents or any witnesses to a legitimate congressional investigation. It's a very important moment for the country. It's a very solemn moment. But it's a reminder of how our system was supposed to work. You put a lot of power in the hands of one person, there has to be a counterbalancing available if that person misuses it. Today, the House said he had misused it. And what today's votes have all been about is whether or not the separation of power still stands, whether or not you can simply, you can actually be co-equal branches of government, and whether you can certainly be the republic if you can actually keep it. You're seeing this vote right now. It's unfolding. You're only a few away from actually capturing it. And this is the essence of what democracy is. As one representative said today, it's a sad day for America, but it's a great day for constitutional democracy. When this day is over, President Trump will have an indelible mark on history. 
that's true. Not just a mark, a stain. Uh, this is only the second time in modern American history this has happened. This is a, a serious day, a solemn day, a traumatic day uh, in many ways. Uh, and in fact, when you think about the, the last time the country went through this, uh, during the Clinton years in the late 90s, uh, a big difference was uh, back then you had a president uh, who was contrite, uh, who was apologetic, and he was supported by the Democratic Party. Uh, but they were saying that what he did was wrong. It just wasn't impeachable. Here, for the most part, we have a president who is defiant. Uh, he wrote a, a rather, I don't know how to express it, rude and, and defiant letter to Nancy Pelosi uh, yesterday. And you have a Republican Party uh, that is saying that the president did nothing wrong, uh, for the most part. Uh, so that may, means, in, in my view at least, the partisan divide about this impeachment is even worse than it was last time. Uh, and I don't think we should belittle how traumatic this is for the country, for people who support the president, for people who oppose the country. It's an ugly day. It certainly is. Uh... I truly don't believe off that first statement that there were more eyes on it. Because I, it's like watching the, the fucking Patriots, my brain locked, sorry, playing a Super Bowl. You just kind of know the outcome. We, we've known this is coming since November 9, 2016. I only saw it because ABC cut in, but I wasn't watching. And I do a political podcast show. It was inevitable. And when I went off air yesterday, it was supposed to be the 19th. Is what the That's what Google said. I didn't know they were even voting last night, but I guess maybe Google was wrong, and that's what I said on the podcast. Then we have MSNBC, and they're even more ecstatic than CNN. You are not asleep. This is not a dream. This is really happening. This is your life. This is our country and our time. It is Wednesday, the 18th of December in the year 2019, and President Donald Trump is impeached. The vote in the House of Representatives tonight to impeach the president was not close. It was 230 to 197 on the first article, which was abuse of power. One Democrat voted present. Uh, on the second article, obstruction of, of Congress, it was a vote of 229 to 198, again, with one vote present. These were not slim margins. The successful vote to impeach the president tonight, of course, does not remove him from office. The decision of whether or not to remove him from office will now be made in the United States Senate, where he'll be put on trial in a proceeding overseen by the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. We're talking about that as if it is a, a foregone conclusion, and as, we, as if you know that's the the next obvious thing on the to-do list here. Congressman Adam Schiff of California, the Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, sir, this has been uh, quite an odyssey for you, including becoming uh, the type of figure and the type of target of, for for uh, public opprobrium from the president and his supporters in a way that's really never afflicted you previously in your career. I know this has just been um, uh, an incredible time in your own life, and your own career. Thanks for being with us on so many of these nights as history has been made, and thanks for being with us tonight as the impeachment articles pass. It is sad. I know a lot of them. I know some of the leadership. Um, it's beyond me to, to explain. I think it has something to do with the psychological feeling of a cult. I mean, that's about the only thing I can think the Republican Party has become, and that is the Trump cult. It's the Trump Party. It's not the Republican Party that Dave and I served in. And I think it's a, a very wise and prudent decision that Nancy Pelosi is contemplating based on 
what Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and others have already said, that there would not be a fair trial in the Senate. And I think what we're seeing in Nancy Pelosi is somebody who understands that today was reflected the strength of the republic, the greatness of the republic in some ways, that we have a, an independent legislative body that's able to hold the executive accountable, but also recognizing the weakness of the moment, mm-hmm. that in many ways our, our national spirit is a little damaged and torn tonight. Republicans don't trust the Democrats. They think this is a witch hunt. They truly believe that. Democrats don't understand why Republicans continue to overlook facts. He subverted constitutional government. And so if you have a majority leader, Mitch McConnell, who has said, I don't want to hear anything of it. I'm already in the bag for the president. The Senate's not going to recognize the gravity of the moment. Then why give him the opportunity to behave in a way that offends the Constitution? Shamelessness is contagious. (laughs) Uh, You know, the problem with Trump is that when you're in his... We know it all because American voters rose up last year and said no to Republican control control of the House of Representatives. The United States Senate is not a democratic institution. It was not designed to be. The United States Senate represents land, not people. And so in the United States Senate, Republicans are overrepresented compared to the number of Republican voters in this country. The House of Representatives is called the People's House because it represents people, not land. The House of Representatives was designed to be more faithful to democracy than the United States Senate. And so tonight, what you saw in the House of Representatives was democracy in action. What you saw was the power of your vote, the vote that you cast last year in your congressional district for your member of the House of Representatives. That was your vote in action tonight on the floor of the House of Representatives. Technically, there were 230 votes to impeach President Trump tonight in the House of Representatives. But those 230 votes were empowered by your votes. Your votes made history. The president will be uh, voicing what he has said in this extraordinary letter. Hallie mentioned how unusual it is. It is a partly profane, angry, vituperative letter filled with exclamation points. It is virtually dictated by the president. And you are going to hear that in his almost stream of consciousness rally style. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has been a remarkable figure in all of this. She is completely maligned and uh, dismissed and attacked in this extraordinary letter, this six-page letter that the president obviously had a great hand in writing. But Nancy Pelosi has been dignified and uh, really straightforward. You saw that one flash of anger at a reporter who asked her whether she was doing this because she hates Donald Trump. That was about two weeks ago. And she turned back on her heels, went back to the microphone and said, I am you know, a Catholic. I was raised a Catholic. We don't hate anyone. I was raised not to hate anyone. So don't mess with me. And then stalked out. Uh, That brought uh, a lot of partisan reaction, as well as cheers from Democrats. Our team is covering all angles of this momentous day. And Nancy Cordes leads us off from the Capitol. Nancy. 
Nora, these upcoming votes on impeachment are going to come down largely on party lines, with all but a couple of Democrats voting yes. Today, lawmakers have been invoking the founders, the Bible, even World War II, to try to convey just how significant this is. Sources inside the White House say the president is upset. His legacy will now be tarnished by impeachment, and his name will forever be linked with the last president to be impeached, Bill Clinton. But the president's advisors tried to spin a different story. Nixon resigned Mm -hmm. before this vote could be taken, a vote like today. Bill Clinton, we saw him. He apologized. He was contrite. This president is um, irate, Mm -hmm. angry, fighting back, sending a personal letter to Speaker Pelosi. And tonight, I think we're going to see him on fire amongst his supporters. This is the politics of absolution, uh, absolutism. Absolutely nothing wrong, no nuance, no room for argument. That's the president's position. But at PJ's Cafe in Dallas, TV monitors told an impeachment story almost no one was buying. The commie are trying to overthrow a duly elected president. We put in office. The responses confirmed that stubborn partisanship is cleaving the country. The latest CBS News polling shows 42% favor the president's removal while 42% do not. Tomorrow night, some of them will battle it out on the debate stage here in California. But today, the Democratic presidential candidates agree on impeaching President Trump. The fact pattern is clear. He uses public office for his own personal good. The calls for impeachment began in April with Senator Elizabeth Warren after the release of the Mueller report. When the president engages in this kind of activity, then it's time for impeachment. One by one, her opponents jumped on board. For those astute listeners out there, you'll remember that Maddow said, this is not a dream, Donald Trump's president. That's how excited she was, because now she got what she wanted. He's not president, at least in the House. But once again, that's journalism. And then, of course, we have our first soundbite from Chuck Todd. Uh, Chuck, you saw that same juxtaposition of imagery mm-hmm. there. Uh, that tells us a lot about how he's going to run with this, I would say. Well, it's it's been his... Look, politically, it's the only way to survive this process, which is rally the party to your side, polarize the process. And look, this has been a successful strategy for this president to survive the impeachment process politically, meaning not get ousted from office, try to make it so that that it's impossible for a Republican to criticize him in public. So on that score, he has succeeded in creating this, but all he's done is fought this to a draw. This is the polarized picture of America. I mean, the Democratic Party almost is united in believing he needs to go, and the Republican Party is almost united in believing this is a witch hunt. And you do have a small slice, but it exists, and we have it in our polling actually out tonight. Lester, in the middle, independents literally are split down the middle on this question. So that's where we are. This is this is the world that we have. You know, there's the factual debate, and then there's the political reality, and as this is it, I mean... It's bizarre to think that he's getting cheers on Battle Creek, Michigan on the same night. He is literally getting impeached on the floor of the House. It is bizarre, but historians will make more sense of it than we can right now. All right, Andrew Mitchell, uh, Chuck, mentioning that polling, the polling continuing to show nothing has really fundamentally changed. So will actual impeachment change anything? We don't know, because to be totally honest, 
one would, would have thought that over all of these weeks and the testimony and the arguments on the other side, that something would have shifted, but the poll numbers that we have tonight that came out this just this evening are exactly identical to the same polling we had in October within the margin of error. At this point, this is going to play out across America throughout this election, the campaign, as we now proceed automatically, when you look at this vote tally, we are now going to proceed to a Senate trial, and, at and least we, and on this one article. I'm really surprised that they would honestly talk about the stats because they haven't up until this point because they've been cheerleaders for this impeachment, but nothing's changed. If anything, the independent split tells you more about this than anything else. It depends what you're listening to. With Fox being the number one news network, and I've actually for the first time tuned in a couple times during this, you're getting a more measured both sides statement out of Fox than when I tune into CNN or MSNBC or her all straight up, he has to go. Because they have been saying since day one, the walls are closing in. This is it for this president. But NBC and Chuck Todd were even worse because they decided to put out this first read and I'm going to play the audio first and then I'm going to read this crock of shit. Impeachment. It is in fact, well, it doesn't guarantee removal from office. It is a stain. It's a mark of shame and, and something that will be noted by history. It will be. You know, I was struck both just last night and this morning how um, unremarkable today is suddenly felt, suddenly feels. And I say that because it is remarkable what's happening. It is historic what's happening. And yet it feels like, let's be honest, Lester, this feels like we're coming on the air dealing with a government shutdown threat, not impeachment. And the reason I say it that way is because that is how numb I think our politics is to what's to what we're facing. I mean, this this should be a moment where the whole country is basically having their own gut check, where we are we are we, we are we are having a national conversation trying to figure this out. And the fact that we're not having it, that this feels like just another battle in what has been a and we tracked this this morning in First Street, and I encourage people to take a look at it. Basically, this has probably been the worst decade in American politics. Certainly in our lifetimes, Lester, um, maybe the 50s and 60s had periods like this, but a sustained decade of decline. I mean, if you're age, if you're under the age of 30 uh, and you're a working adult right now, it, you would probably be shocked if I told you that Barack Obama held an inaugural ball in honor of John McCain, his opponent in 2008, right? Our politics has so declined starting in 2010 to where we are today. And in some ways, this is the fitting end to what has been this been this sort of toxic decade for for American politics. Um, but the fact that it feels like we're just sort of stumbling to this, that this isn't a larger conversation for the country to grapple with what what this president has, is putting the Constitution through, I think just tells you how numb we are to this, uh, to the politics that we participate in. these days. It, it is a sad commentary. Uh, Chuck, thanks very much. It is so amazingly disingenuous that you need the the paper copy to understand how fucking they don't understand America and what Americans see in the center of the country. They see both sides. 
and things on this list belong there, but they miss so many things because they are partisan. Chuck Todd is a DNC staffer who's married to a DNC mover and shaker. He is a liberal, but he doesn't think he is. He thinks he's an objective news person. And when he goes on his show and he only has one side all the time, because he may have announced, I'm only doing one side. There is no side. The science is solved on climate change. He believes that's a sea change moment. But for anybody else who walked away from the show, that's why you walked away. You were only getting Democrats. Democrats would come on, be able to say whatever the fuck they want. They wouldn't be pressed. He wouldn't ask any hard questions. Republicans would get on, and they couldn't get an answer out of their mouth without him going, blah, 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 and yelling and all this stuff we played on the show. For those that have been with the show a long time, I used to do the Sunday Roundup. I loved it prior to Trump. I would watch this week, and I'd watch Meet the Press, and I'd do a show on it. And then I couldn't. It was so one-sided. What was the point? It basically, if I would have done it, I'd have to change this to being a, what I feel, center-right show to a left show. Because it would just be proponing nothing but liberal talking points. Because that's all you could get out of Chuck Todd. So he did this, did this, did this, did this first read. Impeachment caps a dark and dysfunctional decade. In American politics, first read is your briefing from Meet the Press and NBC Political Unit. It's only fitting the decades coming to an end with an impeachment vote against the President of the United States because it's been a dark 10 years in American politics. And it's gotten progressively worse. Yeah, it has because of progressives, Todd. Especially in the last three years. Consider this timeline of controversy, gridlock, outrage, and resentment. The rise of the Tea Party. That's on the list. You're not going to hear resistance. The health care war, Mitch McConnell, the single most important thing we want to achieve is for President Obama to be a one-term president. Not on this list. We're going to impeach the motherfucker. <clears throat> the Tucson shooting, the debt ceiling debacle, the birther, birther movement led by one Donald Trump, the shooting of Trayvon Martin. Not, not that it's negative that Barack Obama got involved, but to Trayvon Martin. Barack Obama campaign nuking Mitt Romney over Bain Capital in 2012. That's the only negative we have. He sits there on the TV and talks about he threw an inaugural bar from McCain and then a, two weeks later said, elections have consequences, shut your fucking mouth. Do we remember that during the hearings for one party redoing the health code and it falling apart and a judge just this week once again casting down the Affordable Care Act that it was unconstitutional and that the Supreme Court was wrong to allow it to become a tax that wasn't even it was covered on CNN this morning this fucking morning talking to a Democrat who's for it a Democrat because that's all they talk to over there is Democrats how are you going to fix it now? But that that didn't make Chuck Todd shit. No. Um, Barack Obama's okay, Mitt Romney or Bank Capital. Romney's 47% comment in 2012. Benghazi and its political aftermath in 2012-2016. He's inferring Republicans fuck shit up. 
Do you see it? It's all Republicans are bad. The Newton shooting, the government shutdown, the rise of Trump, Merrick Garland Supreme Court nomination. Lock her up. Trump's American carnage inaugural address. Trump's 15,000 accounting false and misleading claims. Trump's controversial Muslim ban, which, once again, if you're educated, you know that Barack Hussein Obama stopped Iraqis from coming in the country for a year time frame and nobody reported it. So that's, once again, disingenuous. I'm not supporting Trump. And yes, I supported the ban because I met terrorists. But once again, if you're an objective journalist, you say both sides. Uh, the rise of the resistance. Holy crap, it wasn't there. I didn't see that. But we're not talking about Antifa because, remember, Chuck Todd brought him on a show and purported him and supported him. We're not talking about the damage. We're not talking about the beating people. None of that. Just the rise of the resistance. The Mueller investigation, which ended up, he's got it for two years on here. And it literally accomplished nothing but more division. The congressional baseball shooting, which you buried, Chuck Todd. The Alinsky press conference. Trump comment about John McCain passing away. Kavanaugh nomination, which was Democrats accomplishing nothing. Pipe bombs send to Democrats and journalists. The 35-day government shutdown. Trump, all but certain impeachment. Add them all up, and it's easily the darkest decade in politics is the 60s, and think anyone in their 20s right now, it's all they've seen. They were told old enough to remember when Democrats and Republicans came together after 9-11, even though it later led to the disastrous Iraq war, and they don't, it, it, no intellectual honesty that the moment there were no IEDs, Democrats said George Bush lied, people died. They protested in the street. They blamed him for fucking Katrina. See, we don't see that because he's a liberal. They weren't old enough to vote in the hope and change election of 2008 when both political parties and popular presidential nominees, and they wouldn't believe you if they told them that Obama threw an inaugural ball McCain honor after the election and then dogged him a week later. One of the other characteristics that has defined the past decade, when given the choice, political actors have typically pursued the more populist, radical, confrontational option. That was especially true on the right early in the decade, and it's becoming more true on the left. Whoa, a moment of fucking bliss. He said the right thing. And it comes amid growing polarization in our political media, the rise of social media, and the decline of local news. And it's all contributed to a dark and dysfunctional decade in our politics. I would say this. And I've said it on the show before. And I believe this wholeheartedly. To my very core. It started the moment George Bush was given the presidency from the Supreme Court. And the media and liberals couldn't handle it. We've now gone through two two presidents that they deem illegitimate. The first, the Supreme Court. The second, Russia, which wasn't true. And now we've impeached a president because we're not happy that he's president. That's what we've done. The Tea Party didn't affect shit, Chuck Todd. The resistance has ruined our country for fucking four years. Democrats and Obama's policies have ruined our country on polarization. It started with Obama. You'll end up in a ditch. Elections have consequences. 
the games that he played, the 47%, the McCain is dead. Yeah, Trump's a piece of shit for the birther movement. George Bush was a gentleman for eight years, and people like you clubbed him like a baby seal. You started this, Chuck Todd, in the early 2000s. And the media and the Democrats have only gotten more bolder with the fact that they know they can do whatever they want, say whatever they want. McConnell's, we're not going to get him elected. It pales to impeach that motherfucker. When there's nothing to impeach him on. And then impeaching that motherfucker for nothing. But you don't have the intellectual honesty to say what Mitchell or what fucking McConnell said is normal politics. What we say now isn't. Also missing from his list is the simple fact that we've gone from politicians to supporters. In the age of Trump, well, really, from Obama, 2002, no, what am I talking about? It was 2008, so about 2010 until now, the media and progressives no longer go for candidates, candidates' families. They go straight to everybody who isn't them. And not only do they say heinous things, they dox them, they get them to lose their jobs, they deplatform them, they have everything going on their side. And that's why these people get pissed. Because with everything on Democrats' side, with all the media on their side, with all social media on their side, with every newspaper on their fucking side, with your goddamn phone sending you non-stop Trump bad, Republican bad, conservative bad, Christian bad, pro-life bad, They don't win all the time. They don't get the impeachment polls changed. And you can see it in their tweets. Big difference between Clinton impeachment and this one. Clinton at this point was publicly contrite and partisans supporting him mostly argued that what he did was wrong, just not impeachable. This president is on the attack and his partisans deny facts and any wrongdoing. Jake Tapper. That is revisionist history. I tweeted to him, the difference is, when Clinton was being impeached, you were defending him. The media. When Trump's impeached, the media called for it. Josh Rogan, Jake Tapper, this is a stain that will forever live on this presidency. When we are all gone, that might be the only thing people know about Donald Trump, that he was impeached. And that's why you called for it, Jake Tapper. Jennifer Rubin, supposed conservative that turned to independent who turned into resistance. WAPO. We should make December 18th a holiday like Flag Day, Impeachment Day, in which we honor the heroes and read in every public square the articles of impeachment. Because the flag don't mean shit to these people. Remember, the flag's racist. Chuck Todd missed that off his list, that everything's racist. Brian Seltzer. 
I said at the beginning of the impeachment inquiry that journalists shouldn't advocate for an outcome, but should advocate for a well-informed public. So how well have we done on that count? And I already told you my reply. Newsweek, Seth Eberson. 50 years from now, if you're still alive and have grandkids, I'll ask what it was like the night the House of Representatives had to impeach a president of the United States for violating his oath of office, threatening U.S. national security, and undermining our democracy. He actually did none of that. If he did, then Obama should have been impeached for. After the election, I'll have more room to do what the fuck I want, Russia. Oh, Russia isn't fucking with our election. I'm just going to watch it and spy on Trump. That's what Obama did, but you didn't care. TV Newser sums it up. Fox News was the most watched network for day four coverage of the public impeachment. FNC has averaged the largest total audience all four days of the public hearing. NBC was number one on day four among adults 25 and 54, the category preferred by advertisers. But at the end of the day, everybody went to FNC. That's our impeachment coverage. To some bonus coverage, and then we're going to close this out. And I, as stated, I'll do a Christmas-only podcast on Sunday. Holidays were under attack this year on campuses. Campus Reform has come up with the list of, well, quite a few. How many we got? Five. And then I have a bonus article in here. University of New Orleans' suggestive note ban could make for tough love on Valentine's Day. Sending suggestive notes could land the University of New Orleans students in hot water. University policy at the school banned suggestive notes to prevent discrimination and harassment, but free speech experts were concerned about the vagueness of the policy. It's hard to see where the lines would be drawn. The Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, or FIRE, Senior Program Officer Laura Betts had similar qualms about the policy. Harassment isn't protected by the First Amendment, she said. Number two, Georgetown University professor compares 4th of July-themed shoe, show, I think is what they meant to say, to swastika burning cross. We covered that on the show. Number three, stop Columbus Day. Big Ten students gov demand Indigenous People Day. We covered it on the show. Four, MSU offers tools to teaching children about Thanksgiving Day morning. We covered on the show. Five, Columbia professor says Rudolph is the queerest holiday special, even though conservatives will be infuriated, and we covered it. But the best one for the holiday, and there's been some good shit. Good stuff. London School introduces woke lyrics to Way in the Manger. Flooring inclusivity purposes. A primary school in London has sparked outrage among parents for creating a woke version of the classic Christmas carol, Away in the Manger. According to Fox News, Whitehall Primary School in East London told students that the word Lord should be replaced in timeless song with the word Little Baby, so as not to offend anyone. (laughs) The order came from Zakia Zatun. The headmaster, who's probably Muslim, who said the 60 students of the 500 did not attend last year's Nativity Tuesday celebration due to religious beliefs. Parents have not cheerfully accepted the news. I picked up my children at the end of the day, and they were so upset, saying to me, Mommy, today it's assembly. The head teacher told us everybody that she would be changing the words to the Christmas song. One mother told her Christian concern. I am taking this stand as a Christian belief and tradition, which means so much to so many people of all generations, is being sacrificed and silenced in the name of inclusion and political correctness. Another mother told the Daily Mail that the school has effectively taken Christ out of Christmas and accused the head teacher 
of discriminating against Christians. If he was just a baby boy named Jesus, there wouldn't be a celebration in the first place, the mother said. He's our Lord and Savior and King of all kings. That's the whole point. Miss Katoon doesn't want the people who don't have the same beliefs to feel excluded, yet it's okay to exclude Christians. Andrea Williams, CEO of Christian Concern, said the statement that the school has ripped the heart out of Christmas, removing the Lordship of Christ, that Christmas guts the Christian message of its truth around with the whole of Western civilization once based as culture. Let's put the Lord Jesus back into Christmas. Sorry, it's cold as fuck down here. It's like got boogers. I gotta wipe my nose. In response, Bishop Maz Michael Nazir Ali of the Church of England said the school should not remove the word Lord from the song, adding the students who do not wish to participate should be allowed to opt out. The word Lord Jesus occurs three times in the carol and points to the central message of the Christmas, which is God is with us in Jesus. Everyone in the church where the nativity play is being held point to the central theme of Christian faith. If parents do not wish their children to participate in Christian nativity play and any accompanying worship, they should be able to opt out and the school should provide an alternative activity for these children. But basic Christian teaching should not change just to accommodate everybody. The Diocese of Chelmsford weighed in, arguing the school's lyrics transformed the Christmas message into a joyful experience that everyone could partake in. The service maintains the traditional Christmas message of joy of Christmas in a way that can be celebrated by everyone, including those of face of none, and we're so scared we don't want to say anything that might offend people. Not as bad as last year with the lady and the email, and you can't even have snowmen. We have to do a secular Christmas because that's what we do. So to some bonus lighter fare, we got that child one that I got to admit, um, I should have played in the show. It is the spirit video where they use children instead of soldiers, and it's way awesome. Roger! 
And then in duck news, before we close this out with my rant about live in front of a studio audience, the guy who started the What's Up With You Girl made songs about Oregon football, and it was like a huge thing. It was the beginning of the fucking internet, basically. I mean, social media, things like that. And they're talking about doing another one, so I thought I'd play one of their songs that I really liked. And then the announcement that shook the college football world kind of yesterday, at least ESPN sounded that way, with the Oregon Ducks getting Justin Flo. That's why I hear me screaming all night I love my love. 
your moment. Where are you headed to play college football? Oregon. And Mario Cristobal, as Justin Flo announces that he is going to sign with the Oregon Ducks. Last year, the Ducks landed Thibodeau, who is just a monster if you watch the Pac-12 championship game. I'm sure he's going to show out in the Rose Bowl game also. And then this year, they get linebacker Justin Flo. So this year alone, they've done, well, in the last two years, they get Thibodeau, Mesa Funa, who was less talked about, but also a, fi- a four-star linebacker from California. They picked up Penny Sewell's brother, Noah Sewell, who was in the top 20 at linebacker from Utah, and they pick up the number one California, number five overall rated, or 13, or something like that. Kid coming out of high school, but the number one in, in uh, California, Justin Flo, at linebacker. So... Uh, Amazingly enough, as much of us who are bitching and moaning as Duck fans of we need some wide receivers, yo, they have gotten just an insane amount of good defensive talent, and now they picked up two quarterbacks, another high-ranking quarterback to add to the last one that they picked up that starts next year. So not only will there be a good competition for who's going to take over for Justin Herbert, that defense is going to be amazing. Because um, we don't lose that many people. And then they picked up a 390-pound fucking tackle from, I think, America Samoa. Um, or maybe it was Hawaii. I don't know. I saw the picture of this guy, and it literally scared the living shit out of me. So, to end the show, I tie it in with what I talked about in the beginning. I tune into that because I think it's kind of cool to watch them redo... Uh, last time it was the Jeffersons and All in the Family, and this time was Good Times and All in the Family. And amazingly, somehow as a child, we watch these shows, and when the father from Good Times died, I thought he really died in real life. And the reason why I remember the scene is because the mother dropped something, and just the acting was amazing. I mean, it was like she really was in physical pain. Um, and I was moved by that as a child. I remember just looking at it like, oh my God, that's so sad. And we watched it. Um, cause unbeknownst to what people say, it wasn't the Fresh Prince. It wasn't the Cosby's really for the normalization. If you didn't live around African-Americans, which I didn't, I was in the suburbs of uh, Portland. We did do interchanging stuff for one year. I went to Portland to an all black school and then one year, Kids came from the all-black school, and we played, and it was always invariably the same old thing that we all say. Kids are kids. They don't notice color because they don't. They haven't lived life, and they haven't been in brain, you know, unbeknownst to liberals. It wasn't like I was in a house where they're going, watch out for them blackies. You know, I didn't have racial stuff. I lived with liberals. So it was like kids in a playground. We didn't notice if they were black. We really didn't fucking care, but that was a big deal during the time because I'm sure that was the busing crisis and all that stuff that I didn't even fucking know about. But Good Times and the Jeffersons were really the shows that 
in my mind, normalized American views of African Americans if their views were not normal. They always talk about the Cosbys and French Prince and rap music and all that stuff. I, I don't see it, but whatever. But I watch them because it's, you know, it's kind of neat watching those old shows. In the case of the Jeffersons, it played true. It was, they, as they say, so relevant to today's time because everything's the 60s for these liberals. America is still a cesspool of shit. Everybody's racist. We're warmongering fucking pieces of shit who don't abort babies. You know, that's how lefties look at it. So they think it's relevant, but the Jeffersons was, Good Times was really kind of awkward. I didn't get it, but they brought, my point, they brought the dad back. And I don't know, I got on a screen there. So the dad was acting as a actor, as a, this political guy that had been the alderman forever, and there was a young kid challenging him, and and it was between the, the husband and father, or the father and the mother, about they were on both sides of this thing. But he came back, so I thought he had really died. I mean, I didn't think he was alive, and there he was. Because I don't remember many other shows, so it was kind of funny to look at that. But it was very boring. The All in the Family. I probably sounded grouse, sorry. I think I just glicked on the mic. Um, was once again... Racist Archie Bunker. It's like they go through and the show was about a racist guy and the world was changing and blah, blah, blah. But they try to find the worst stuff. So this was a Christmas episode where a draft dodger had come back from Canada and Pinky, a friend of Archie's, was there and he had lost his son. So Archie's all pissed off when it finally gets out of the bag because the family won't tell him. And meatheads saying how much these just don't talk about anything because he's a piece of shit and blah, blah, blah. But Pinky goes, I want to eat with this kid. I I don't care. You know, I, I, I wish my son hadn't gone over there. And I guess the moral of the story is draft dodgers are fucking awesome. The war was horrible. Um... America was divided back then, and it's worse now because of white people who won't vote like us liberals. But it struck me, because the impeachment was happening simultaneously. And I think there's only been one time in my life that I questioned where I was as as an American. You know, the the left and this resistance, the LGBT mafia, social justice warriors, feminists, the fucking pro-kill-every-goddamn-baby, the eco-Nazis that we all need to stop eating meat and all this stuff, they believe they're the norm. In their bubble, they are. Where they live, they are. Where they live, transgender is the coolest thing since getting a new pair of Nikes. But I've always felt, being a person in the middle, because I'm liberal on some things, conservative on other, I feel like I'm average Joe American. And there was only one time in my adult life that I felt I wasn't. And that was the election of Barack Hussein Obama. As I had to explain to so many people who automatically see a guy in a Jeep or a pickup truck dip in Copenhagen... It's not because of his skin color. It was because he was a war protester. The election of Kerry was the same thing. I questioned, as a person who had sacrificed 20 years of my life and fought in a war, 
If this guy gets elected, America's rejecting me. And then I catch myself and go, no, it's it's what I've always said it is. It's Everybody's got to make their own decision based off who's the scariest to them in their lives. And it's based on so many more things than just what they're saying. It's their policies. It's their party. It's the direction they want to take the country. And as a soldier, invariably, it had to be, and I'm sure a lot of soldiers make this decision, who's going to get me a raise and help my family? Because I live really, really you know, hand to mouth and there's got to be a way that I can get a hand up somehow. Um, You know, something we'll never hear on the TV is how hard it is for their veterans and how hard it is for military families. So many that are on, you know, food assistance because they barely scratch even. And granted, some of it's their life choices and buying cars and things they shouldn't have done. But, you know, in the end, it's it's a really tough existence because you don't make a lot of money. That's never going to make the news because liberals hate the military. They want that money to hand out to get people to go to vote. I mean, that's what it's all about. Every Democratic president has downsized the military, downsized the budget, uh, not given good raises, not improved the cost of living for veterans or on a on disability. They just don't do it. So invariably, we vote conservative only because of that financial reason, whether that president's a great president, whether we sync with all their values – I know black guys who voted for people that were supposedly racist because every conservative is racist. I mean, every president's ever gone up is a Nazi racist. That's what the media says in my lifetime, going back to the fucking 80s. Um, they still voted for him because it was the bottom line. So I catch myself and I go, okay, well, that's not it. But for that period, I felt really weird that we just voted a war protester, somebody that disavowed the war I fought in, the friends I lost, and was going to close it out, and all the work we were going to do was going to be for naught. And it really kind of shook me. It was the first time I was shook by an election. Unlike liberals and progressives, I didn't go to the street. I didn't go beat people up with hope and change. I didn't go burn my flag. I didn't do anything. I caught myself. And I realized that wasn't it. That's what I felt because the media was against the war before they were for the war. It's the progressive way. And last night, for just a second, it happened to me again. I'm watching a show that is making a war protester, deserter, draft dodger, a fucking hero, and saying that's relevant and brave. And they are to be respected but I don't see a show on TV where veterans or guys who went to the war, young people who signed up at September 11th and have done 10, 12 rotations over there and dodged bullets and lost friends and sacrificed a lot of their life and came out with mental disabilities and all these things. I don't see them on TV. And a president's being impeached for nothing. Basically because they couldn't get him on Russia. And I looked at Twitter, and I said, am I not the norm? Am I not the middle of the country? And I went to bed thinking that, because of those two instances. Is it me? 
Am I that far off? And then I wake up and I read articles and I watch the media cheering and happy and smiley, just so excited and ecstatic that they got what they wanted. And once again, I regrouped. I went, okay, that's that's not it. I'm sure if, if uh, I took a poll on my block, it would be majority no impeachment. If I took a poll on my block, a majority would be no, I don't need to know the 99 pronouns. Majority on my block would be, oh, no, you're not a fucking racist. You, you keep to yourself. You don't say shit. You don't mess with people. You don't alter people's lives. And I think that's that's the thing we all have to do. If you're a middle of the country, slightly right of center, slightly left of center, if you're what I like to call Americans, you just need to hold your ground. We are in violent times because a small percentage of the country wants it to be that way, and the media want people off balance so they can get what they want, which is complete democratic far-left rule and change this country so it's not the country they want. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that for fear-mongering. I say it because I believe what they say. You know, we've been told that about Trump. You need to believe his words, and that's why he's racist. And you need to believe this, and you need to believe that. This is the game that's going to go forward. This is how politics in America are going to be. And it's not going to be what Chuck Todd said All the Republicans are fault for the division in our country. It's going to be Democrats are not going to ever accept not winning the POTUS because they truly believe the demographics in the country and their base are what the country is because they never leave the coast and their bubbles in Washington, D.C. The establishment of Washington, D.C. is always going to resist anybody that ever goes in there that isn't part of the establishment, and they're going to try to put them out. As stated in a couple podcasts ago, I believe in the deep state now. I never did, but it's clearly obvious with the FBI and the IG reports that we're getting. They just did this to get him. And this impeachment proves that the media and the Democrats will go after any GOP president and try to get them impeached if they lose an election. It is as true and as normal for them as stated that every Republican nominee for president in my lifetime has been a Nazi racist. Every one of them. There has been references from the media and the left. That's the game they play. But more importantly, I think with the middle of the country, the regular Americans who are neither Republicans or Democrats, we have to stop being silent We need to write our representatives. We need to do things to get out there and promote this isn't our country. Our country is not the resistance, and our country is not Trump's. Our country is in the center. And when we go to do an election, we're usually voting against the worst evil for us and our finances or our personal life. I will admit that I'm sure for LGBT people brought up in this world with a media that always says that every Republican is a racist homophobe, they don't know that Trump was for gay marriage for Hillary and Obama was. 
for minorities. They don't know that Trump employed a lot of African Americans and has proved unemployment for them. They don't know that Obama put illegal aliens in fucking cages before Trump ever thought about it. They don't know that Obama literally banned Muslims just like Trump. Because we have a media that will only report on Republicans and what Republicans say and what Fox News puts out. And it coincides with probably why Fox News has the most viewers of every fucking network, me not included, because I don't watch any any of them. It's probably because Americans have ferreted that out. They realize that if they tune into CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, PBS, CBS, they're going to get the DNC News Hour, and they go over to Fox, they're going to get a hard line of conservatism, but they're also going to get people that just report the news. And that's probably why they win in the ratings. So all hope is not lost. It's not the end of days. It's not, this, this is the game now. We have to understand if we allow Democrats, the current Democrats, I'm not talking middle-line Democrats, normal Democrats, if we let the AOCs, Tlaib, Omar, Pelosi, Schiffs, Nader, if we let them get full control of this country, everything you believe in will become illegal. That's not hyperbole hyperbole, that's what we show every fucking show. From Christianity to unfederally funded abortions, they will rewrite all that. They will take guns. They will fucking tax the shit out of bullets. They will tax the fuck out of you so they can get their base what they need. Obama was the test run. The next go around, it's going to be way worse. Because they won't give a fuck. They spent all their capital to force through a unconstitutional medical care coverage that has fallen apart. And then they admitted they did it on purpose so they can get single payer and turn us to a socialist country. Those are their words. And they said they were going to impeach this guy. And they did. On nothing. That's the game. We just need to start playing. You know, Chuck Todd will bash the Tea Party, but that was the first time normal Americans went out in the street and said no. Then we didn't do it again. Because we were labeled racist. But now you're in a time where everything's racist, so who gives a fuck? They already call you a deplorable piece of shit. I mean, if... You need any proof, just go to Twitter today, and anybody who's actually out there that's a Trump supporter, you are the Antichrist on Twitter. I mean, they're just, it's directly to you. And every week, I play fucking sound bites of the media outright saying, you're evil. So, I caught myself twice. I think as middle of the country, normal Americans, who want our country to get back to being a country that doesn't hate each other for their views, and a country that actually elects officials to go to Washington and do something other than impeach 
or investigate each other. Our focus going forward should be the House of Representatives and the Senate. It should never be blue again. Because trying to get a Republican president is a wasted effort going forward. They're just going to impeach him. It's either do that or just make sure the assist the uh, vice president's a really good candidate. Because <laughs> that's who's going to end up being it. But no, this is true. They're talking about Pete Pence now. They're already there. For some crazy reason of the Senate impeached Trump, which it's not going to, they would start impeachment proceedings on Pence for being a homophobe because he believes in God. So that was my duality of watching live in front of a studio audience and the impeachment being forced on me by Jimmy Kimmel simultaneously, and I just wanted to rant about it. So this wraps up a short, well, not really short, but an uh, impeachment episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends and send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com, foppodcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and our Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. As stated, our next podcast is going to be the 22nd of December, year of our Lord, 2019. Straight up Christmas. Won't be as long as last year. It'll be a short one. But I got to do my Christmas podcast because I really enjoy it. Everybody, enjoy your family. Stay warm. Disconnect. Tune in Sunday. Thanks for listening. And take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.